Hey everyone, welcome to the New Media Show. My name is Todd Coffrin. Of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenley. Good morning, Rob. How are you? Doing fantastic, Todd. It's great to be back. And uh, you know, this time of the year is uh, is is the time of the year when everybody throws out their predictions for the podcasting space and and what's uh, maybe to come in the next year. And so, so I think we're going to do that this week. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I'm sitting here in Tampa, Florida, at my daughter's house. The uh, a daughter and her husband, of course, and the uh, the baby decided on Christmas Day that we were going to get a special delivery. So we uh, we have a Christmas baby, and uh, it was pretty exciting. Wow. wow. I, yeah, I rolled in here the day after Christmas, and matter of fact, I got to their house about 15 minutes before they got released from the hospital. So i uh, just been hanging out here and uh, assisting where I can and <laughs> maybe being in the way a little bit. I don't know, but... Uh, <laughs> It's been uh, been fun to spend time with my first grandchild, but uh, I leave back for Hawaii tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I know it's a little it's it's a little on the humbling side to be a grandparent now, isn't it? <laughs> it's like okay, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, you try to give a little advice, but not too much advice, and yeah, you, know, you just kind of have to play it in between. But um, anyway, it's been a. And actually, I've been able to keep up with work between baby naps and all that stuff, so it's been good. So, yeah, lots being talked about this week about predictions for 2019. And um, I've been kind of digging around for something that I thought might be unique to look at. And one of the things I found was um, we've implemented this uh, DMA uh, basically, it's 211 metro areas where we can look at the data on a city-by-city basis. And I was on the last show, I think I talked about it a little bit, but now that I've had a couple of weeks to look at the data, um, it's kind of interesting to see the top metro areas, at least for my show, and I think this is going to vary from podcast to podcast. Mm-hmm. But off the cuff, what do you think the top metro area for for the new media show is? Uh, I would say probably like New York, <laughs> Washington D.C. Washington D.C. Interesting. Yeah, followed by New York, Chicago, L.A., yeah. San Francisco, and then Spokane. I don't. That's kind of a weird one. Philly, Seattle, Denver, and then there's more, but that's the full list. So I think it's going to be um, from. And then really, this maybe isn't a prediction. But it is interesting to take a look at, you know, where each, you know, where your micro audiences are breaking down, you know, beyond the state level. So I thought that was uh, something kind of cool. But more on a prediction for a market, I know that some folks uh, were talking about what country is growing the fastest. And I'll be honest with you, I think that uh, Brazil, at least from my perspective and the crystal ball that I have a look into I believe Brazil is going to be the 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 biggest growth year in 2019. I think um, we'll we'll see where where everyone else falls out, but at least for us, I think Brazil listener wise is uh, we're seeing huge market trends there, and we'll probably continue to see it. But I don't know what do you got? You guys do a lot of European business, so where do you where yeah. do you see the the trends at? Well, we put out that uh, that state of the podcast uh, universe report um, here this past week or so, and it, um, it as far as in our numbers, it was showing the country of India is the one that's growing the fastest as far as on, on our platform, as far as on the listening side. 
Um, so, I mean, it, it's, you know, and I think that the common thread here, Todd, is, is that um, the rest of the world is on the path to catching up to the U.S. <laughs> so it just, it's going to take a few years for things to catch up, and, and, but, but the world is coming on strong. Um, there's definitely no question about that. I mean, but it is a different media culture outside of the U.S. than the U.S. I think in some ways the U.S. market is a little unique when it comes to podcasting. Uh, just from a culture perspective, uh, and that's always, and then kind of you know how how the media looks in other countries is quite different. I mean, it's you know if you think of like the UK with the BBC, and you think of Canada with CBC, and how dominant those those kind of state funded kind of kind of media brands um, are are so dominant in those markets, and a lot of people haven't felt comfortable creating their own media. Um, and, but I think that's starting to, to change a little bit. And I think more people are, um, creating podcasts, uh, you know, around the world. I think one of the big things though, Todd, and is we think about these, these other markets coming on the scene is that, um, they may be strong English consumption markets. Um, but, but I think where the opportunity really is, is to, is those countries creating a, a local language content. And I yeah, think, I, I, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I I was. It's interesting that you said India from your guys's perspective. Um, you know, I was recently watching a YouTube series from a guy that's come on pretty strong on YouTube. His channel's bald and bankrupt, or something to that effect. And uh, you know, he was going around some of the poorest areas of India, as well as you know the the typical tourist traps and that kind of stuff. And right. Um, one thing that's universal there is, uh, you know, I kind of keep an eye out in some of these international videos. I look at mobile phone usage, and it's the same. It's the same as here. People are head down in their phones. So, you know, it's – and obviously there's a socioeconomic issue that to contend with in India as well. But what are you seeing content-wise? What's coming out of – do you know the type of content that's come out of India currently? Well, I don't know right off the top of my head, but I, I would imagine most of it's kind of in uh, more local language because um, that's the trend line that you see around the world is that of course, the content yeah. that's being created there is um, being created because of the the first language, not the second language. Because most people can, um, most people around the world these days can maybe understand English to a certain degree, um, but as far as what they what they prefer to speak is their 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 local or or, or native language is what they are their first first language, um, and that's that's where we're going to see um, growth in those markets. But it's going to be a little different dynamic than it was here in the U.S. Because what's happened in the U.S. is a, a lot of the content that's created in the U.S. gets consumed on a global basis. I mean, you just look at all of our, you know, I mean, Todd, do you happen to have access to the? the countries around the world that are listening most to the new media show? Uh, let me look. So, I mean, obviously yeah, the U.S. is number one, but... Yeah, but so, you know, I, what I would... Well, what I was going to say was is that yeah. the... I just, you know, I guess we'll have to watch these, these countries and figure out where the um, quote-unquote... Um, find out what content, you know, what kind of categories of content there is. Right. So that's, that'll be something interesting to follow. So here's the breakdown 
for the new media show. So country-wise, United States number one, UK number two, Canada number three, Germany four, Japan five, Romania six, Australia seven, Hong Kong eight, let me go in, France nine, Ireland ten, Netherlands eleven, Switzerland twelve. So there are a significant number of non-English speakers there. So we've got, right. you know, you look at, uh, yeah, well, of course, most people in Germany speak a fair amount of English. Japan, mm, that to me is kind of surprising. So, yeah, it is kind of an interesting mix of, of listeners for sure. And the countries, of course, you know, the, the numbers fall off dramatically when we get into, you know, beyond Canada, you know, then you're down in under 10 percent uh, between U.S., U.K. and Canada. Then you fall below 10 percent globally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see for the speaker live show, it's uh, the U.S. is number one in Canada and Egypt, which is really surprising, too. I mean, I mean, have a country like uh, Egypt so high in the consumption of that show in the UK mm-hmm. and in Italy and Australia and in the country of India, um, Hungary, Spain, and Mexico. That's kind of how the speaker live show breaks out. So it's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, you, you have to understand too then that when you're speaking to an audience that you have a pretty diverse audience that you need to uh, also remember that people outside the United States are listening and that could be right. 10 or 15%. So maybe that's a takeaway from for most podcasters out there is that if you are engaging your audience, don't just engage um, your U.S. listeners. Make sure that you give an opportunity or give a reason for your foreign listeners to engage. And I guess maybe that's an opportunity here for those of you that are listening to this show outside the United States. Uh, you know, what what are your takeaways? What is your primary reason for listening to this show? Yeah. Um, you know, because we're, you know, we talk a lot about the U.S. market, so it may not you know, in Japan, the Japan market, podcasting market, is very much different than the U.S. market. But right, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's something that I've always kind of had in the back of my mind. Though you know, it's real tempting to 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 just focus on topics that are related to the U.S. market, um, and that's that's a trap that a lot of podcasters fall into. I mean, if you um, because you talk about what you know, and that mm-hmm. tends to be more more local, and 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 in some ways you can um, miss opportunities on a global scale because you're either either number one, you know, not speaking to your global audience, uh, or number two, you're talking about things that the global audience has really no no kind of desire to spend time listening to. <laughs> so right, you know, right. it's it's always a a challenge to walk that line for podcasters to start thinking globally. And I, I do know re- recently with, you know, James Cridlin and his pod news, I think it has brought, brought to the fore more than ever, Todd, that, um, that glimpse into the, the international market, you know, especially if you're on the podcasting side, if you're creating a show to be able to, to see what's going on in uh, Australia in one place, you know, he's done a great job of kind of consolidating all, all that, um, and, 
in sharing with us, you know, if there's a podcast awards going on down in Australia or something going on in the UK or, and then here this next year, there's even a new podcasting event going on in Malaysia. So, um, well, it's more radio days, uh, is what, what it is, but, but I'm sure podcasting is going to be part of that event. Um, but Asia is going to, going to come into the picture and you start thinking about the population of Asia, uh, as it comes to podcasting, uh, you know, that could have a significant uh, impact on this medium. I must apologize also to everyone today. I'm on my ATR 2100 and I'm holding it by hand. So <laughs> if you, I'm trying not to rustle too much. So my apologies in advance. But um, no, I, I think, Rob, the, you know, the international market definitely is going to continue to grow at a nice steady pace and um, we'll just see if it eclipses the you know percentage growth of uh, of the U.S. market. How about you? What you got on your your short list? Oh, as far as predictions for next year, um, yeah. Well, I think that the 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 IAB certification um, process is gonna gonna make some some significant and profound changes to how how uh this media is is valued with uh you know on, on with the marketing side you know on with the brands and the advertisers um you know i think the certification th- that is coming is is i think one of the most or the most significant um change that's happened in this medium since it started um and and it may have a significant uh real impact on growing the revenue opportunity for podcasters um you know and hopefully todd and i know we've talked about this too is um that the advertisers will value this this medium more and podcasters that create terrific content will be compensated at a at a higher cpm rate um you know i think that's going to be a a significant um, thing to watch in the next year you know, I think seeing that now there's now five companies that are going through the process. I think ACAST through their, uh, basically through their, um, you know, they threw their name into the ring saying that they were going to go through as well. Right. So that's that's five companies. Now, the question I really have is, is, okay, how many companies can be in the pipeline at the same time? So, you know, right. you've got one auditing firm. Um you know, are they going to be able to handle uh, five five companies at once? I'm sure it's going to, but uh, you know, potentially it's going to cause a, a slowdown because they're just juggling that many that many companies. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they got the resources to be able to uh, to power through. Right. But with their, you know, with the five having been announced, then you know we've got a whole bunch of other. Uh, companies out there that are are making claims. As a matter of fact, I was sent an email from an individual, wasn't a, a, a company or anything. It says this is uh, you know the hosting company I'm with allows me to set the measurement interview um, by hand. I can set whether I want uh, one hour, two hours, five hours, twelve hours, twenty four, thirty six, forty eight. And really? he says, oh. yeah, and, and he said, what should I set that to? And I'm like, well, the, you know, the IEB standard is 24 hours, so you should be at 24. And um, I found the company, 
uh, you know, basically I, I was informed of the company's name. And sure enough, I went over to their website and I did a little digging around and they're claiming to be IEB compliant. And yet they allow their podcasters to set the frequency interview on their measurement. And um, and what I'm meaning by that, folks, for those of you that are listening, is um, how often you reset. In other words, we look at a 24-hour windows uh, as part of the um, compliance requirements in that if an IP shows up twice from the same user agent um, on the same episode, there's rules that are applied to that that go into the measurement. So if you change that to one hour, uh, what you're going to really see there is a huge inflation, a huge inflation in download numbers. So um, I don't know what, um, you know, of course, again, this company says they're IB compliant, but maybe they don't fully understand what that really means. And I think we're going to have to be addressing that throughout the next year as well. Yeah, I think um, there's going to need to be kind of, you know, an understanding, I, I think, here for a period of time that there's, there has been and there will probably continue to be some companies out there that are, that are not really following the standards and are giving podcasters the ability to kind of um, take a different path here is kind of, kind of a, uh, a friendly way of saying it. But, uh, you know, you know, there's there are companies out there that have been not doing anything close to what this IAB um, specification is is requiring, and their numbers are quite different than what comes out of an IAB uh, a real you know certified IAB metric platform, right? So, you know, there's going to be a period of time, Todd, I guess, where we're going to have still have these players out there that are putting out right you know really 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 inflated and incorrect numbers and that's that is a concern um but hopefully over time that that will that will slowly go away but i don't know todd some of these companies that maybe are doing this maybe don't have the financial resources to to get certified and maybe they don't want to get certified I I don't know Todd. What do you think about all that? You know the the as we talked about in the last show, the finances is just one piece of it. The check you have to write is significant, and right. the time and manpower requirement is significant as well. So right. you know it's e- the check may be easy for some to write, but the actual going through the process and then correcting or. You know, they're going to get asked questions. You know, we got asked questions that we were like, hmm, no, we haven't done that in the past. Right. And, you know, had to put some stuff in place. It was more along the logging, you know, like additional logging to make sure logs didn't come up missing and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, just getting through that first questionnaire um, of 56 or 60 questions, whatever it was, I think that would – it would probably overwhelm some companies for a month just to get that, get that all those questions thoroughly answered. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. It's definitely not, um, you know. And, and I hope they do. I hope they go. I hope everyone goes through the process. To be honest with you, yeah. but I just I think it'll be a stretch for some folks. Yeah. Well, because yeah, because you had mentioned Acast has has announced that they're going to go through the process. And I think, um, in pod news, I saw that the Omni studio folks has, 
has put it out that they're applying for the IEB certification. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're in process. Well, maybe that's who it was. Yeah. Let me look. Yeah, it was Omni Studio. It's what has been put out publicly anyway. Um, uh, Voxness and Spreaker, us, we're in the process right now. Um, Megaphone, Lipson, and Art19 has put it out there that they're they're on the path, uh, probably in various stages, I would imagine. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, we're like maybe a month or two in to the process our, ourselves, um, but I can't really say you know how far along the megaphone folks are. I mean, Todd, it gets back to like what you were saying before: is um, what is the capacity of this audit firm to to do? Uh, reviews of platforms simultaneously can they mm-hmm. do two at a time do they do three at a time can they do four at a time uh, or are all these companies kind of in pending status um you know i don't know i, I so don't know i, the details I did, of that. i do stand corrected it was omni studio it wasn't ACAS. so right. my apologies so james uh don't quote me on that <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if ACAS is on the path or not, so I I haven't heard. Well, at least they're, they're not on the list. Like you right. said, uh, right. it's Megaphone, Libsyn, Art19, you guys, and Omni Studio says they've applied. So, But I don't think Omni Studio was actually part of the IEB either. Oh, that's interesting. Because, I mean, I think we talked about that last week, uh, you know, the question, can a platform that's not an IAB member go through the process? You know, that's probably a good good question for the IAB. Yeah, and if so, uh, what are the details on that? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see, <laughs> you know, it, hopefully it's, uh, well, I'm, not hopefully, it, it, sh- it should be more expensive because, you know, we already pay a significant fee based on advertising revenue to the IEB just to be members. And that's, you know, that's something that most folks don't understand is enough. If you're a company that has no advertising revenue and you want to be part of the IEB or up to like $2 million in advertising revenue, I think is what it is. I think the cost is $11,000 a year just to be a member. And then uh, that, that's pretty public. That's, that's on their website. I, I don't think I'm allowed to talk about how much the actual certification costs, but yeah. the... Um, um. Yeah, so you know that's just step one. But if they're going to allow the non-members to be certified, then you know what's that? What's that? Uh, not you know how much is that going to cost? It will be interesting to see if they'll actually say. Yeah, and I, I don't know if all these platforms actually um, sell advertising. I mean, is it a? a rate based on your your advertising revenue right so mm-hmm. i mean you look at like an art 19 they provide a tool that enables advertising but mm-hmm. i don't know that they're actually making direct revenue from advertising that that yeah. is that's an interesting question too is it as it goes back to ieb certification but i know we're getting it's weeds, based, aren't we <laughs> yeah it's it's based on gross Advertising revenue, I, right. or I think gross. I don't think it's net; it's gross. Yeah. Right. 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 So, so, and then Todd, I mean, what what do you think uh, as you look into the next year? Are are the these smart speaker platforms you, you think gonna start picking up some more traction, or 
do we think that those those platforms have been a little overhyped for what their their actual potential is in getting getting listeners connecting to podcasts through, through those you know i know that there, there's a big push for these these kind of um, news briefs and really really short form content going through these these devices and and i know that they've they've announced that they're they're going to be integrating um those those smart speaker platforms or these smart agent platforms into cars more and more and maybe that's where we'll see the consumption of this um increase but that's probably going to take years for that to happen but but i know that a lot of folks and i've been a little um, not not really thinking that there's going to be a huge amount of growth over there well i think there's a huge future for these right. devices you know I, I saw something that breached the news the other day some kid gotten like a five-year-old or i mean a like a kidney gardener got in trouble by his mom because he said hey a-l-e-x-a what is five minus three and of course a-l-e-x-a responded and gave him the answer so he was using the device to cheat on homework but you have to give – it's pretty ingenious for the five-year-old. But um, So if the five-year-old is using the smart home device to cheat on homework, I, you know, I think it's just going to be like any other media that – or any other media consumption device that we have. It's going to be um, – I think we'll see incremental increase. I don't think we're going to see anything that's great and bust out. Now, that could change if Apple or someone else uh, integrated into other devices beyond the HomePod. Right. Um, you know, but we, you know, what I think is the number one growth device for actual device for 2019 is definitely the, the, the watch, the watch, the Apple watch. You know, we've seen like you guys had, we've seen incredible, you know, almost a one for one percentage drop or, you know, one percentage uh, drop in uh, Apple podcast iOS to a 1% increase in watch OS. And, um, you know, it's not new listeners. It's the same listeners, but consuming on a different device. So right. uh, we've seen a huge, you know, I, I, it's, it's noticeable. It's more of a shift than it is a... a it's a shift, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not so much of a growth um, yeah, area. So maybe I, yeah, oh, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a shift in, in consumption pattern just based on ease and convenience, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's... That's maybe you know. There's probably a lesson to be learned from that, right? About how to grow um, podcast consumption. It just needs to get easier. I don't, you know. I know that there's been a lot of talk, and I'm I'm working on an article too, talking about the fallacy of the discussion around podcast discovery, right? Um, you know, there's always this talk about you know well podcasting has this discovery problem and this you know we need to solve the discovery problem well what is the discovery problem todd i mean i mean if if we were to identify what the discovery problem is um what would it be actually versus what people i I think imply when they say that right um and and i'll just give a give a little tip on what i think uh what people are really saying is when you hear it from podcasters what they're really telling you it's almost like they're telling you something in code um what they're telling is they're not satisfied with the amount of people that are finding their podcast um 
uh, and well, th- they want to grow their show versus I think what people um, put out there uh, is that somehow it's it's uh, Spotify's problem or it's Apple's problem. Apple hasn't done a good enough job of of um, <clears throat> getting new podcasters to listen to my podcast or they haven't featured my show or they haven't somebody else hasn't promoted my show and that's why um, people have a hard time finding it. I know Todd, what's your takeaway on the whole discovery question? Well, I, I spent two years talking in multiple conferences about how to grow your show. And I think, right. you know, based on looking lit- literally at thousands of sites, right. I think 90% of the problem is the podcasters have uh, not done the things they need to do to make sure that people are able to subscribe to the show. I was having a conversation on Facebook this morning with a a gentleman who has his podcast on a sub page of his website. It's not linked from his main page. There's no way to subscribe from it from his main page. And and I'm like, well how do you how do you then expect people to grow and find your show when they land on your homepage and they don't even know you have a podcast and there's no opportunity to subscribe and no hint of one. I said you look at your Amazon and you're like your Google right. web analytics and you look at your bounce rate. I said, that's going to tell you how many people are clicking through. I said, therein lies part of your issue. But I think that even if a podcaster does everything that I have recommended over the years, um, it's just like anything else. You, most of these shows are starting from zero, zero audience, zero percent social um, standing zero percent. Um, uh, they're not an expert in their field. They're not someone says when we talk about uh, topic B or topic A, you talk to you know this person or that person. You know y- you have to build your your standing in your content area, um, and you have to hit that in multiple facets. So for me, when someone says that people aren't discovering their show. I think you're right. It's code for my show's not growing fast enough. But then I go back and, you know, okay, what are you doing to make sure your show is growing and discoverable and being able to be found? And, you know, I find a one sentence of show notes. And, you know, you and I have the advantage here of this show in that you and I are pretty much well-known in the space. We've been around for a while. We have a certain amount of social following already that is going to tag along if I have show notes or not on the new media show website. And we're just going to pick up a certain amount of people just because we've been in the space long enough. But there's a key word there. We've been in the space long enough to have that kind of following. So different rules apply to different folks, I think, to a certain extent, too. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it is competitive to launch a new show these days. I mean, it's it's not something that's that's um, easy to grow audience anymore. And it's hard to really point fingers and and say you know well you know it's just too hard to be found these days. And and you know it's always somebody else's fault for why why my show isn't growing. And I think that that's that's this whole discussion that keeps coming up around podcast discovery is. And I, I believe Todd, and I've been saying this too that that I think that the number one issue that this industry needs to address in the next year is is how to grow. 
um, how do we grow this medium, uh, you know, on an individual individual podcast basis? And I think you just shared um, one of the ways. Um, and I think we just need to get back to the basics um, of what this medium was built on. It's a word of mouth medium, and what whatever you can do to build word of mouth about your show. Uh, and there is a metric that's correlated to quality too, quality and value your um your connection with your community and your listeners what value are are you driving to them uh if you're driving good value and you're driving um you know uh, content that's worth their time they will most likely do the word of mouth sharing so it, but you also need to do the basics like Todd like you were saying too is you have to you know uh, put those links in there that that can be found um, that will connect that audience to your show too. And that needs to be easy. Um, and, but it's not Apple's um, responsibility to make your show successful. It's yours. And I think that's, that's the key takeaway for me. And, and, you know, as far as, you know, looking into the new year and into the next few years, that's going to be more important. But Todd, is there anything else that you, you I mean, you can think of as far as, big things are going to happen next year? Oh, you know, I think that um, we'll continue to see Android make some headway. Um, I don't know if it's going to be explosive. I don't think so. I think it's just going to be continued to be steady. You know, I think that's a hard thing about this type, this topic, Rob, is you and I have been at this long enough that we are not, I think both of us are not willing to go out on a limb and say that, you know, Android's going to have 5% growth next year. And I don't think that's realistic because we both have been on this, you know, right. slow and steady increase trajectory to the space. And, you know, we've had some, you know, it's had some, you know, I guess for better words, burst, uh, you know, burst of new shows coming on board. Right. And I think we're still seeing that the show growth is is still good. In the space, so I, I don't know if I'm willing to go out there and really make another uh, big prediction. Um, right. I'm hoping that, as I said on the last show, that the the direct response stuff is not the dominant advertising in the space at the end of next year. I'm hoping we have a good split, but I and again, um, I have to tamper that with uh, the reality that. We'll probably see an increase in brand spend versus DR spend over the next year, and it, it'll probably be steady. It probably won't be a spike. If it's a spike, I'll be very surprised. Right. I mean, I, mean, I think two, two trend lines that we're definitely seeing uh, happen in the medium more and more is uh, you know free platforms. Um, I think those will probably continue to – to grow and and attract and bring in um, new content creators, though I will say that I'm not so sure that those content creators are necessarily all that serious about their being podcasters. I think that there's a lot of tire kicking going on in the free platforms, uh, and and a lot of people pod fading very quickly because it, they find out it's not for them. So I think it you know it's it's going to weed through a lot of people. Um, and it's really, really because of the ease of production and how these these new platforms that are coming on the scene are are 
looking at hot button um, opportunities in the podcasting space. You know, these these areas that have always been kind of a challenge for podcasters, and they're focusing on trying to make it so easy to do this. Um, the the downside of that is that, like I said, you know, just a minute ago, it it kind of um, does does enable people that are not as serious about creating quality content um, to get into the medium, and I think it's deb- it's debatable whether or not that's that's good for the medium in the long term. Um, and are there and this push towards monetization is something that uh, that is going to continue into the next year. I, I believe that podcasters want to get paid for what they do on a, on a growing um, number uh, of, of shows. Now, granted that's always been there, but Todd, what's your thought about these, these free platforms and these new, new, new companies coming into the medium in the next year and continuing to expand the podcaster base? Well, free as a model 10 years ago, right. the podcasting space would not exist today. It would be gone. Right. There would be pockets of companies that would be able to do some podcasting. But free as a model doesn't um, – and based so far on advertising revenue and the – ability for advertising revenue to roll down into smaller shows, that model in which most shows are smaller shows, that model would not have supported a a growing podcast space. It just wouldn't have. Um, So in a sense, maybe I don't want to say it this way, but the podcasters have invested in the companies in the space to help grow the space. Um, they're continuing to do so, um, you know, without our customers, uh, being with us, we would have to, um, start laying off staff and, and, uh, roll out some new features and stuff like IB certification right. would probably largely be impossible to right. have even been able to be paid for. Right. So, uh, in a sense, uh, not only are podcasters paying for a subscription to be, um, to have their media hosted, they're also investing in the future of podcasting. Now, that said, with the with the free offerings out there, I you know I I'm at this point uh, I'm watching very carefully at the model that they're putting forward, and and we will see how they are able to to ramp up the monetization needed in shows to survive, pay salaries beyond what they have for investment money and become a sustainable company that can stand on its two feet on its own. You know, I've, again, based, again, and maybe I might be wrong, but they have to monetize the entire stack. From, From the bottom show to the top show, they have to monetize every single show. Uh, If they don't, if they can't, um, I don't think the outlook is good. But if they can monetize eighty percent of it, maybe they'll survive. I, I, I just, but then again, when podcasters don't get a check, or they have to wait a year to get a check for advertising that's running in their show, or if they, um, you know, I've always said that uh, dinner money is good money for podcasters. Uh, I have. Uh, 
and it gives you some hope. You get fifty, sixty dollars in the advertising revenue uh, that's come into your show for a month. You know, it maybe is enough to sustain uh, the motivation to continue to do the show long term. But at the same point, there is going to be an impact. I truly believe that unless we have a very wide a very, very wide and diverse advertising base, and I'm talking hundreds of advertisers, not 20 or 25 or 50, but hundreds of advertisers, the audience is going to get burned pretty fast on, you know, what do you do now during a Geico ad? You know, you don't pay attention to it on TV. You, You just don't because it's on every channel, on every network, you know, if you still have subscription TV. It's, you know, it's, and even it's uh, forcing its way into digital. So there has to be a huge wide base of advertisers. The audiences, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think the audiences um, will revolt. Now, that said, I've had the same advertiser on my show for 13 years. Right. So do they get burned? Well, some do, but at the same time, I have new listeners coming in every month that are able to sustain that. So. I, I think there's a there's a bigger challenge that they have. Time will tell if they're able to – if these free models are going to work. Um, we'll see how fast they have to go back for another round. And if and that's going to really tell you the, the burn rate of these companies. If they succeed, then uh, good for the podcasting space. But I think there's going to be a place for companies like yours and mine, um, at least for the near future, <laughs> I'm hoping right. – um, because if if they aren't, if people just revert to free, I think the space will be impacted negatively over the long term. Yeah, and what's the what's the exchange in value uh, from a monetary perspective, and, and between the podcaster and the free platform? Uh, I mean, how how is the free platform going to be able to? financially be able to support uh, its podcaster base uh, with that um, that uh, relationship. So there's going to need to be other <clears throat> or increasing r- revenue opportunities for those platforms in other ways other than subscription, right? Um, and I think as you look to the next year, um, it's going to be interesting to see I- – I think that there's more talk happening around premium paid content um, than I've heard before. Uh, you know, these other um, ways of monetizing donations seems to be keep coming up, even though Todd, you, you and I both know that donations um, really isn't a model that's going to sustain a podcast. Um, and I mean, well, Robert, it, it to, depends to it, do it, 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 but it, it, yeah. It, it depends on the goals of the show. Right. Again, I think that some shows, if they got a, you know, a dinner money or car payment money from donations, that that often is enough to sustain a show. Right. So I think the that model works, but you know, what do you need to get there? I know what I get in donations for my show, and I've been been doing the donation model for at least. Uh, 10 years promoting and the you know the amount of donations I get for my show obviously I've had a sponsor the entire time so if I didn't have a sponsor maybe more people would step up but on the donation side um, you know I I pay for my assistant with my donation money 
Uh-huh. You know, it doesn't pay my blogging fees every month. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't earn that much from donations right. and I run a pretty, you know, I pretty, you know, look what I'm getting re- I'm getting ready to go to Vegas here and I'm going to, you know, credit card's going to get to the tune of about 15 K, uh, for, t- you know, for uh, a four day show. And that doesn't get paid for with donations. Yeah. And one thing I want to go back to is podcasters are watching their metrics more than ever. Um, we're seeing, and we get a lot of inquiries on, are my stats right? Did something change? And oftentimes it's the smaller shows that are the most worried about their stats. Uh, under a thousand listeners typically, and uh, we get the most uh, emails from folks saying, hey, I've seen something. Is this right or wrong? Am I missing something somewhere? And the bigger shows Typically, we never really hear from them because they understand that the ebb and flow of the listeners, you know, you you lose some off one end while you have to pick up new ones on the other side. And there are certain months like December up until Christmas. December's typically a pretty low listener month. But starting, well, now, this period now, after through the January 30th, you know, you got to be on it like Donkey Kong because this is a high growth period for the space. But leading up until the 25th of December, you know, December typically is a, a relatively low month consumption-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Because people are busy. They're going to parties and, you know, they're, they got Shopping a lot of stuff going or, on. With, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot of stuff on their mind. So, you know, as we come out of the holiday period and get into the new year period where I want to lose weight, I want to, you know, I've got my – and want to be help my brain by becoming more educated in finances or whatever it may be, then people are going to go look for content. And this is why the growth period immediately following Christmas and New Year's is so big. So um, if you're listening, make sure you've got stuff in the can to take you out uh, over the next month. Right. So do we want to make any predictions on what's going to happen on the listening side? Do we want to talk about um – you know, and and how that relates to the RAD initiative, whether or not we're going to see any any significant traction there. You know, I think one of the things that has kind of come out of this RAD uh, topic uh, around metrics is is how the listening side, right, is kind of has their own agenda, right? They have their own relationship with uh, with listeners, and they're charged with mm-hmm. driving value to listeners. Um, not driving value to podcasters, and I think right. that that's that is a key thing to keep in mind when we think about the listening side of this this the, this medium is, um, you know the 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 folks like the Overcast app and those um, they think about well why would we initiate uh, Rad? Um, that's not really good for listeners, right? That's sure. That's great for advertising. Great for podcasters. But um, why would a listening app um, cater to podcasters um, when their their charge is to grow listeners? Right. Well, I think there's two things. Um, you have a there's a lot of skepticism in the marketplace over Rad, and there was a Verge article that was right. striking with it um 
and surprisingly, they didn't talk too much about the certification. And I think it's sad because the RAD folks have tried to um, keep their name in the press at the same time that the certification is going on as a way to, uh, you know, continue to prop up support. Right. As I said in the last show, RAD's got some huge challenges, and we'll take the data and present it if it's available, but I'm not really holding my breath. So um, we'll see what happens there. Um, and I really don't want to give RAD too much more credit at this point. They have to – they've got to be able to uh, produce, and they've got to be able to get some apps on board and make some things happen. If they don't, if that initiative uh, dies on the – you know, it's all on the app developers now. So, um, of course, the providers like us have to be ready to take the data – but is there going to be data to be able to ingest? That's the next question. I think also one thing I'm looking forward to, and I do have a little insider baseball on this, so maybe it isn't a fair prediction, but I think uh, what we potentially could see in 2019 is the loosening of and the ability to license um, some mainstream music for periods of time to be able to put in podcast. Um, so I would say like a, maybe not a top 40 song that's currently active, but maybe some inventory that is available that's been around, that has been on the marketplace for a while, that's uh, popular, that uh, would be well-known, that could be placed as uh, intros or even played in its entirety on a, um, I think we're going to see some going to maybe a little loosening there, and I think it's going to be more of an experiment to see if podcasters are willing to, those that have a music genres are willing to, um, you know, pay a, you know, write a check for some music. And uh, whatever that amount may be, I don't know. So would that be more kind of of older older tracks? Yeah. you know, like from the 80s well, or the 90s versus kind of stuff that's more current? Well, if you think about the labels, the labels own a huge inventory of right. content. Right. And uh, they are the sole licensee and distributors of many, like, uh, and I, I can't name one off the top of my head, but some artists are signed and the content is owned by the label. Right. So, um they're free to be able to to make separate side deals for the licensing and uh, allowances for that music to be played. I think we're going to see some of that. That excites me a lot, to be honest with you. I, I'm and I'm hoping that the podcasting community um, jumps on this in a big way if it does become available, because it, I think we have a window of opportunity here to make the labels or maybe a label. Uh, again, I got to be careful. A label to to make them understand that this is a viable space and they can make some revenue because that's all they really want to do. They want to make the label wants to make money, right? You know that's and they're, they, they they don't give anything away for free. There's no free with labels. So in this instance, you would license um, you know a track or an intro or two minutes or something to that effect. To be able to play uh, in your show that uh, people will like, wow, you're not supposed to play that, but you would have a, a legal license to do so. But it can't be too expensive 
Um, and it can't be too cheap either because they're going to want to have some revenue out of there too. So we're, they're going to have to strike a balance, right, of uh, cost and and being able to have it have it affordable for podcasting. Now, granted, some <clears throat> of the larger podcasters have bigger budgets, so right. I don't know if you know how they're going to balance that that need for you know volume versus. Um, you know, having a license fee that's too expensive for most podcasters to afford. I think that's a, that's an important question as well. My understanding, and again, the pricing isn't locked down from what I understand, but there will be tiers, and it will be based upon the volume you have in your your downloads. You know, if you have, right. uh, you know, under 5,000 downloads or under 10 or over 100, there's going to be tiers and um, that will – have to have some, you know, companies like mine and yours that if come if they come back and say, hey, did this show get the right license? We're able to say yes, they did. Right. Something to that effect. I don't know how that's all going to work, but it's you know it's all in the legal details that I'm not privy to. So we'll we'll see. But I'm I'm thinking 2019 we might see a period of time. And hopefully forever, where we start to get some mainstream music. That can, and if the, I'm going to be honest, and if folks are listening to this, this happens. This is a big deal. Right. <laughs> It'll be the first time since Napster that downloadable media can be would be able to be legally licensed to be in, you know, legally completely legal right. to be in downloadable content. So, Todd, I've also heard that it's it's going to be limited uh, in. In duration um, of the music, though, I mean, I'm I'm hearing a maximum of thirty seconds. Would that be what you're hearing as well? I don't have that deep of details. Okay. I'm hoping it would be a little more than thirty seconds, but we'll see. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing is is that if they're going to do this at all, it's going to be um, perceived as a as a marketing tool for the labels. Uh, you know, and sampling would be would be that um and because if they start putting out full tracks then then Mm -hmm. people can just cut and paste it out of the the downloadable audio file and they have a full copy of the of the track but if it's just a 30 second clip how likely are people going to do that right we'll see and you know if i you know my first two episodes episode one episode two of geek new central was acdc back in black you know that was the intro you know, 35, 36 seconds of the opening rift of those song, of right. that song, and until someone said, hey, uh, dude, you can't do that. Right. Or I figured that on my own. I can't remember the sequence of events. Um, but, you know, I think it would be kind of cool to be able to do that. If I can get me a, a licensed ACDC back in black, I might, I might open my show with that. <laughs> yeah, I had that uh, situation, too, that was really kind of um, – you know, a challenge for for me back in the early days of my early kind of kind of radio days, where I would I was able to play music on the radio, um, and then that would be recorded, and I'd put that all out as a as a downloadable file later. Uh, so there's you know I've got a similar thing going on too, and and most of those were like maybe fifteen twenty second um, clips from popular songs. So you know it you know that I think is. As a bare minimum, that's kind of where where we need to be with this, um, you know, some sort of duration that people can can put in their their show, and the labels can look at it as a as a sampling promotional opportunity, 
uh, and a revenue opportunity. And, and that creates a win-win relationship uh, between the labels and the podcasters, um, I believe. Um, and ho- hopefully that's, that's what we can see happen in the next year. Yeah, so I guess we'll have to see where the the pricing starts out. I'm hoping that for the smaller shows, it's maybe something like five bucks or something like that. Right. Um, I don't know. We'll find out, you know. But uh, the next, you know, and of course, then it has a lot to do with the the licensing and the terms and all that. So we'll we'll see where it goes. But I'm excited um, to see from that perspective. But uh, other than that, I think 2019, I think we're just going to continue. I think this space is going to continue to evolve and mature. And I think we're going to see, uh, you know, more uh, ad injection going on. That's definitely on the, on the, you know, on the increase. Um, so time will tell on, on how this all goes. Yeah, I, I also, you know, agree with you, Todd, that the ad insertion technology is going to going to going to continue to develop and grow um i i still think that we have an issue that the industry needs to work on around um uh, trying to not pump uh radio ads into into podcasts uh, I, I think that's that's a kind of a black mark that exists on these programmatic platforms um, that is not helping uh, move things forward. So um, I know I'm going to be actively working in that direction myself, trying to and and as that you know that kind of begs the question too. I know that there's been talk about you know some sort of a you know industry association coming up uh, where we can start working on some of these things as a as an industry. Uh, and if there's continuing to be kind of you know bubblings of people out there that have an interest in trying to form a new organization um and and todd i don't know if you have any comments that you want to make on that but uh you know i know it's a lot of work and it's a big commitment on the part of the industry to start thinking about this kind of stuff and and i think having some idea uh and i'm i'm starting to work on kind of like a document that um could be shared that can kind of outline some some potential goals for it you know an organization like this the issues that they that an organization like this can can help bring potential solutions and collaboration across the industry um i don't know todd do you think we we need it i, I know that's the big topic um that keeps coming up when this topic uh, is raised is you know do we need this I, I think we do. It's just a matter of do we have the time, resources, and people that can be committed to building it. I, I'm just um, right. I, I think I've said it before. I almost become exhausted even thinking about how <laughs> right how hard you know it, it it's it it really it's you know knowing what we went through with the IEB and the negotiations and the rounds and rounds and rounds of meetings we had to get to version 1 and then version 2 of the the guidelines and just to think okay let me expand that across six or seven different more subject areas i i my my eyes roll in the back of my head i, I think it's needed uh it's going to be a big effort um, and a lot of time by a, a significant number of people to get it right. And then we have to make sure that it's inclusive to everybody. Right. Uh, yeah. That's the uh, that's real challenge. 
branches. How do you launch something like this? How do you get it off the ground and 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 give give the feeling and the reality uh, that the whole industry is embraced uh, by it and and um, and to have you know a, a, a clear vision? I mean, really has any any single you know group of people at the scale of this this medium ever been able to agree on anything? I you know I think that's the that's the challenge. Um, you, well, you you end up agreeing on portions, and well, my, it, this is an interesting mm, example. My grandmother told me one time, she says, "Not what you love about a person is what you can put up with." So I think that's a pretty good <laughs> yeah, right. that's a pretty good statement. So when there's a an organization like this, it's not what you love about the organization; it's what you can put up with. So any type right. of organization like that has give and takes. So I think if everyone can go into the process with enough open mind saying this is not going to be perfect, but if there's enough pieces here to meet the agendas of the um, the enterprise, the independence, the 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 folks that are doing on a professional, you know, there's like five or six categories here of of companies and individuals that would be involved that you got to have enough pieces in there to make it digestible um for all and not too many pieces where people are this thing has got too much stuff in it it sucks i need to bail so maybe the the key is is to start on one topic yeah because i don't think you can do everything at once i think you can only do a handful of topics or maybe one topic um and then expand um, as the organization grows. I just, I mean, first of all, we got to get the structure in place and what this means, how much it's going to cost, how it's going to be supported, and that's the first piece. And then pick a pick a project and go. But anyway, Rob, we're we're over an hour here. I allotted an hour for myself today. Okay. Um, I'm sure we could continue to go on. Oh yeah. Next week, this time, I'm going to be in in Las Vegas. So I'm going to try to schedule and do a show at the same – so you and I would be on the same time zone. Right. So let's let's try to do one on the 5th. Okay. And that way – because I know that uh, there's going to be no way I'm going to be able to do one on the 12th. Uh, but uh, I guess we can try to do one uh, – I'll try to do one for my hotel room on the 5th. Okay. Next uh, Next Saturday then. Okay. Yeah, next Saturday. So everyone that's been listening, thanks for being here. This is obviously an audio-only show, no video version of this. And over for the next few, probably for the next month or so, it's only going to be audio. So if you've been watching the video portion of it, uh, get subscribed to the audio version of the show. You can do that at newmediashow.com. You can reach me, Todd, at blueberry.com or via Twitter at Geek News. Rob? Uh, you can reach me on, on Twitter as well, at uh, Rob Greenlee, and um, you can send me an email if you want, um, rob at voxnest.com. That would be, uh, and if, you, if you want to pose a question or something, we can we can definitely raise it on the show next week uh, or, or a comment, but uh, we'd love to hear from you, so feel free to reach out. And also, if you think there's someone that should be on the show that hasn't been on the show, let us know that, and we'll do our best to get them scheduled. But everyone, thanks for listening to us here. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas. And, of course, have a happy and joyous and prosperous New Year. We'll see you back here next Saturday on the New Media Show. Everyone, take care. Okay. Take care, everybody. Bye.